It's good to be with you here on this rainy morning. If you would turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12 today. Luke chapter 12. We'll start in verse 13. There are notes inside of your bulletin, and there's also notes in a Bible on the Nova Community Church app, if you have that. We are in a series entitled, He Gave, We Give, and we're talking about the giving nature of God and how God created us to be givers made in his image. Over the last two Sundays, we spent time taking a look at the well-known parable, The Good Samaritan. And today we'll talk about being rich towards God and what that means. And I, I wanted to call the sermon, um, When God Calls You a Fool. But our director of student ministries, Thomas Whiteside, said that would be offensive to people. So, uh, actually it was the other way around. So, in, in, anyways, um, we'll take a look at this parable and look at why God calls This man a fool. When the series is about giving, as this series is, the topic that inevitably comes up when we talk about giving is money. Right, money. Now money in of itself is is simply just pieces of metal and pieces of paper And the reason that they are of any concern to us at all is our culture has established that these pieces of metal and pieces of paper will function as currency, and they represent monetary value. So money is significant to us simply because we exchange it for what we value, and what you do with your money shows what you value with your heart. We value life and we value taste. And so we spend money on food. And we value education, so we spend money on books and, and sometimes we spend it on tuition. We value entertainment, so we spend money. We send it to Netflix and, and uh, satellite or cable TV. We go to movies and we go to concerts We do activities, we spend money doing those things. We value the ministries and the mission of the church and the advancement of the gospel. And so we give money to the church and and we we give money to mission and, and other ministries. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, he says, where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. And where your money goes, your heart's going. And you exchange money for what you value, and that's what you treasure. And the paper and the metal really is, is really nothing. Not many of us carry the paper or the metal with us much anymore, do we? But it's the expression of that um, is where you treasure, and that's where you're your heart. That's, it. That's everything. Let's take a look at our text today in Luke chapter 12. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. 
Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Our text here points us to Jesus' teaching on the attitude toward our possessions and, and toward our wealth. And so let's do this. Let's, let's look at the beginning of the chapter. And the, the very first verse in the beginning of the chapter kind of sets the tone for what we see here. And so what we see in this gospel account is important. And in verse 1 of chapter 12, it sets the scene. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. And so the first thing that we see here is this very large crowd gathers. I mean, it it says here very clearly, many thousands. Jesus is teaching in the middle of a crowd of many thousands. Believers were there, and unbelievers, and even those who were seekers, they were all part of this crowd. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing we see is, Jesus speaks first to his disciples. In the midst of thousands of people, Jesus speaks to his disciples directly first. And, and I've and I got to ask myself, are the actions of Jesus strategic? And so there's thousands of people, and I, and I have to think to myself, how is Jesus communicating? I mean, how can thousands of people hear his voice? Right? Did, did you think? I mean, we have amplified sound here. Did Jesus speak loudly? Did he have a very deep and loud voice where thousands, thousands can hear him without amplified electronics and wireless microphones and all the things that ring and pop and, and we have problems with from time to time? But I think. Thousands of people, and Jesus speaks directly first to his disciples. And I've got to think that if there's thousands, and Jesus doesn't have amplified sound, that people are pressing in, and they're leaning in, and they're trying to listen to what Jesus has to say. The third thing that we see here is it appears that Jesus wants the crowd to overhear. Because we read in verse 41 of the same chapter, Peter says this. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Because there's thousands, people are leaning in and listening. And he says, we read here in verse 1, he speaks first to his disciples, but everyone else is listening in. And we see this in, in this gospel passage and in other gospel passages that Jesus is speaking directly to the apostles, to the disciples about money and about giving. And I think he purposefully and strategically wants the crowd to overhear what he has to say. Today we're going to look deep into what Jesus says to his followers about money. 
And if you're here, and I would imagine we don't have thousands, we have, we're in the hundreds here, but I believe that this crowd is the same. There's believers and there's unbelievers and there's seekers. And if you're not fully convinced that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, then you're in a good spot here today because you can overhear. You can overhear the words of Jesus teaching about money. And you don't have to feel like, oh, this is my responsibility. You're just overhearing if you're really not one of the truly convinced here. So this large crowd gathers. Jesus speaks first to his disciples, and then there's this greater crowd that we believe or we think that Jesus wants this greater crowd to overhear. And then the the last thing that we see here that we're going to point out today at least is this is not a request for your money. If you are unsure what you believe, if you're here just sort of checking things out, let nothing Jesus says or nothing, let nothing I say or what we read in the scriptures today be interpreted as a request for your money. Jesus is not asking for your money in this parable today, and I'm not going to ask for your money either. And if you're uncertain where you stand with God, you'll be challenged with something, but it's really not going to be really about your money. If you want to understand Jesus, you need to understand what he's saying, especially in this parable. And so let's take a look at our notes and and take a look at our text today. We'll call this When God Calls You a Fool, and we're going to answer three questions to sort of clarify this, this parable that Jesus is talking about. And we're going to get clarity on this parable, and, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. And a lot of it's going to be just personal application to your life as to where you're at in your relationship with God. And so as we look through this and answer these questions, I think it's a good thing to ask yourself in your heart, what's God saying to me through this? So when God calls you a fool, first question is, why did the man ask Jesus to solve his dilemma? It's a good question. We find this in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, why did the man ask this strange request out of this crowd of thousands? And Jesus is there, and he's speaking to his disciples first. The man asks, you know, my brother and I were given an inheritance. My brother's holding on to it. Please help us settle our dispute of my parents' estate or the inheritance that we've, we've received. Now, the question here is, why would the man go to Jesus and ask this? And the general answer is that the man calls Jesus teacher or rabbi here. And in ancient days, there were no secular judges or mediators, and you would just go to the local religious authority if you had a dispute or you had an issue to work out. But Jesus is not part of the religious system. He's not part of the Sanhedrin. He's not really a certified rabbi of that region. So why does he go to Jesus to say, can you settle our dispute? Well, this is what I'm thinking here. I'm thinking that this man has been part of this crowd of thousands for a a little while. This crowd that's been following Jesus, witnessing miracles, watching how Jesus loves people, listening to him teach and train his disciples. And perhaps he asked Jesus 
would you settle this dispute about money and wealth? Because Jesus talks about money and wealth all the time. Uh, He talks about it a lot, especially in the Gospel of Luke. More than any other subject, Jesus talks about money and wealth and giving. In fact, 11 out of the 39 parables, Jesus is talking about money. And the man, I believe, heard so much about Jesus talking about money and possessions that he says, would you help my brother with this dilemma? And it's really, is this his brother's dilemma? No, it's not his brother's dilemma. It's his dilemma, right? It's same thing. You're here and you're thinking, oh, a sermon about money. I'm glad so-and-so's here, right? Um, because they really need to hear about this. This man's doing the same thing. He's saying, would you help my brother divide the inheritance? But it really involves me. The, the question here is, why would Jesus... Why would Jesus talk so much about money and wealth and giving? And the answer to that is that generosity is not just a Christian duty like church attendance and singing hymns or songs and listening to sermons and, and prayer. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was six years old, December 21st, whatever year that, that was but I was six years old. And for about 12 years after that day, after that moment, being a Christian for me, this is what it was like. Being a Christian for me was just going to worship services, just what we would call going to church. For 12 years, that's all it was. Then when I was about 18 years old, I got invited to go to a home group, a small group, And I went to this small group, and I saw these people, and they were all ages. I was the youngest, but there were people in their 50s and 60s, old people, really old people. Um, I was 18, and and, uh, the youngest, and, and then there were people who were married and single, people who were divorced and separated. There were able bodied people, there were disabled people in that room. And I, and I went to this small group. I'm not even sure why I went. Someone invited me, but I, I don't. But I left there thinking, this is a different Christianity than I've ever experienced before. People were praying for one another. Actually praying, not just saying, I'll pray for you. But they were actually praying for one another. People were talking about God and their relationship with God like it was real. There were people who were serving, setting up chairs in this living room. And there were people who brought the disabled people who were in wheelchairs. They'd go to where they were living and pick them up. There was even a disabled man in there who became my friend who had a problem eating just by himself. And so I I was staring because we were having snacks afterwards. And you would get a spoon full of pie or cake and you'd put it in his mouth. And then you'd have to get him in a headlock so that he could hold his head still so he could chew. And I learned to do that. And I learned to pray for people out loud. And I learned to serve. Because remember, Christianity for me for 12 years was going to church. And I learned to love. And I learned to to give. 
And I learned that it really didn't matter that I was the youngest and there were those who, well, could have been my grandparents in that room. We were all the same. Being a Christian isn't just going to something and taking. Going to something and hearing good music or a good speech or eating a piece of cake or pie afterwards. Christianity for me was no longer something I was taking and consuming. It became something about for me to the action of love and to serve the sacrifice and encourage and giving. My Christianity was so weak when I just went to church. I was so self-absorbed and so fragile when I was just going to church. But it changed, and I understood when I got a real understanding of what the ministry and the mission of the church is all about. You see, in your notes here, giving is at the heart of every single thing a Christian is and a Christian does. Giving is at the heart of every single thing a Christian is and does. First question we answered is, why did the man ask Jesus to solve his dilemma? Second question, when you find that God could call you a fool, is why did Jesus refuse to help? Because I I really think that that's really interesting here when this man yells out in the crowd, uh, Jesus, help me, help my brother divide the inheritance. And this big surprise in this passage is when Jesus refuses it. And we're surprised because we know that Jesus is concerned about social justice issues. He's concerned about justice and someone who's hoarding something that he should be splitting. And so Jesus, we know him as someone who's concerned about these things. And the way Jesus refuses is a surprise to us because he gives them a rebuke. Take a look at this in verse 14. Jesus replied, he says, man, I love that. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you guys, right? It's, it's like he's just sort of, I don't know, flippant is the right word, but it's surprising that he gives this answer this way. Now, the word arbiter is important here. Um, this is translated in the New International Version, um, but, but it's, it's better translated, instead of arbiter, the word divider. Emeristan is the Greek word, and it's used again um, in that chapter. See, Jesus appears to contradict himself because he says, who appointed me as a divider? I'm not a divider, in other words, what is what Jesus is saying. But take a look at Luke chapter 12. In same chapter, verses 49 through 53, using the same root word of that word, arbiter or divider, read this. Take a look at this. Verse 49, Jesus says, I've come to bring fire on the earth. Verse 51, do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And some of you are thinking, how does Jesus know my family? And, and anyways, um, um, these are hard words, and, and we're not going to really look at this deeply here, we are going to do a new series in a couple weeks, and they're going to be about what we call the hard sayings of Jesus, and we're going to bring that series to you. We're, we'll take a look at this scripture in, in, uh, in specifics and talk about what does Jesus really mean by this hard saying that he's saying. But what's going on here? 
Jesus saying to the man, I'm not a divider, and then he says later in that same chapter, I'm a divider. What, what is he talking about here? Um, Jesus Christ is a divider. He's always calling on people to choose. He's saying, choose me or reject me. I'm dividing it right there. There's this way or that way. He, he's saying, worship God or walk away. And if you're really confused, Jesus saying, I'm not a divider, and then he says, I am a divider, in the same chapters, almost really in the same setting, is Jesus a divider or not a divider is the question. He tells the man, I will not be used as a divider of your wealth. And in verse 15, and then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, Jesus is saying, I won't be a divider when it's all about your selfish gain. I, w- I will be a divider when we're talking about who you're going to worship, who you're going to follow. You've got to choose me or you've got to walk away. A couple weeks ago, I was, I was out um, at a meeting at, in, um, at the Cultural Arts Center in, in Torrance. And I ran into a woman that I've known for um, a, a few years in the police department and she knew that I was uh, the lead chaplain for the department, and so she's heard me speak and, and watched me do my work with police officers in the community. And she also knew that I was a pastor. And so we just started talking, and she said, I haven't seen you in a while, and we were talking. And then she said, ask this question. Do you think God hears my prayer? What a good question. And I think we ask that often. Do you think God hears my prayer is what she asked me. So I knew something was brewing, something was up, and I said, why, why, would you, why do you ask me that, that question? And she says, my aunt has cancer. And so now I know where she's coming from. So we had this conversation about prayer and, and her relationship with God and then her aunt's relationship with God, and, and she said, no, my, my, my aunt believes that Jesus Christ is the way. She says, but she has cancer, and I love her so much, and I've been praying so much for her. Her question really was, does God really care about my life? And I said, yes, he does. But there's something greater that God cares about than your aunt being healed of cancer. The thing that God cares about more than your desire for your aunt to be healed of cancer God cares more that your aunt has given her heart and her life to Jesus Christ and trusted him for her salvation. And so we got to have this great conversation about that. And I think sometimes we think that the purpose of Jesus in my life is just to make my life better, for my aunt to be healed and for me to have enough food on the table and a roof over my head and a nice bank account that I can sort of live a cushy life with. Does Jesus care that your life is better? That's a good question. He cares more that he is your life than he cares that your life is going smoothly and comfortably. Why did the man ask Jesus to solve his dilemma? And why did Jesus refuse to help? And the third question we have is here is, why did Jesus call the man a fool? That's really where we're at here in this parable. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, 
And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. The word, the word fool is important for us to understand. It, there's a rational aspect to the word fool. And the rational aspect is someone who's out of touch with reality. That's what a fool is. Someone who doesn't live or, or doesn't understand reality. And you call that person a fool. But there's a spiritual aspect to being a fool too. And the spiritual aspect of being a fool is a hatred for God's definition of reality. A spi- the spiritual aspect of being a spiritual fool is when you hate God's definition of reality. Now, to look, look at this parable, we can see the first thing is that money blinded this man to the existence of a spiritual reality. That money in his possessions blinded him to the existence of spiritual reality. In the parable, notice that the man saved as if his earthly life was all that there is. And he says, I've stored up all my surplus, and now I can be peaceful, and I can be happy. And then God calls him a fool, because he stored up all that the world has to offer, and he thought that's all there is. Instead of putting your money into eternal things, like ministry and mission and people those things are all eternal he put his money into his earthly life money blinded him to the existence of spiritual reality the second or the third point here that we can make is money blinded him to the principles of spiritual reality in the parable it's asked who will get what you stored up for yourself and see the world says it this way. The world says, oh, store up for yourself, but the Bible says empty out. The Bible says you want to find your life, then you're going to have to lose it. Spiritual principle. The Bible says the way to real honor is humility. The Bible says if you want to be really joyful, you need to repent. The way to real power is to serve. You want to be first? Take the last position. Luke chapter 12, verse 21. And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and and verse 25 about foolishness. And he writes in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. In verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And when Jesus went to the cross, the spiritual principle is that he won by losing it all. He was filled by emptying himself. You think about Jesus. He had no home. He had no place to lay his head. He had no organization. He had no budget, yet he was the most influential man who ever lived. In the community of people that he trained 
he equipped and he deployed continues to reproduce and multiply into thousands and thousands of years later. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Amen.